Hanukkah. 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 You're listening to Hanukkah Podcast, highlighting citizen Potawatomi Nation issues, members, and more. Please subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform. Just search Hanukkah Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. I'm your host, Paige Willett. This time on Hanukkah Podcast, we'll hear from a tribal member and high school student whose dreams include space travel and learn about how CPN manages its land today. Language Department Director Justin Neely also teaches the differences between animate and inanimate words in Potawatomi. Although only a junior in high school at the Oklahoma School of Science and Mathematics, Pettifer family descendant Kyla Risen Hoover's main career goal reaches outside of Earth's atmosphere. She wants to become an astronaut. Studying at the state's premier high school for the top students in STEM fields is her first step. Made up of juniors and seniors from across the state, a rigorous application process means that the school only accepts half of the students who apply. Prior to transferring, Risenhoover attended school at Hydro Eagley Public Schools, a small district in western Oklahoma. Her older brother attended OSSM as well. When I was younger, I'd go up and visit, you know, my brother, and I didn't really think that it was for me at the time, but then as I got older and it's about freshman year, I'd say, I got pretty interested, and I realized the academic and opportunities there are just so much greater, and the STEM opportunities also there were just so much greater that I decided um, I was going to apply. Now in her second semester, Risenhoover enjoyed the academic challenges, extracurricular activities, and chances for internships and mentorships during her first. It took some time to adjust to moving into the dorms in Oklahoma City, but now she knows she made the right decision. Living on campus is definitely an adjustment, not having my parents there all the time. Um, I live on campus five days a week, and so it's I love it. I'm constantly with all my friends, and the support system there is just absolutely amazing. Ryzen Hoover also participates in the first tech challenge for robotics. A senior class member selected her as one of the junior captains. While the competitions focus on constructing robots that complete a set of tasks with greater speed and accuracy than the competitors, Ryzen Hoover also learned valuable life lessons. I think it's definitely helped me with my leadership skills, um, as well as if something goes wrong, you have to problem solve and you have to figure out how can you solve this. But you also especially in my position as team captain, I try to keep a positive attitude, you know, because if we have a negative attitude, then the team's just not as happy and things start going wrong more. But if you keep everyone with good morales, then it just keeps going smooth. Ryzen Hoover also became a coxswain on the rowing team, a member of the Kind Society, and one of two junior delegates on the first OSSM Student Foundation Board, serving as a voice of the student body to the OSSM Board of Trustees. Nine. Ignition sequence start. Six, five, four, three, two, one, zero. All engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. 32 minutes past the hour. Liftoff on Apollo 11. 
Reisenhoover's mother, Dorinda, works as the education coordinator for the NASA Oklahoma Space Grant Consortium STEM Engagement Center at Oklahoma State University. Reisenhoover said she hopes to continue her mother's legacy. Exposure to STEM studies started in Reisenhoover's childhood. During a trip to the Sonny Carter Training Facility in Houston, she had the opportunity to stand on the deck of the pool at the Neutral Buoyancy Laboratory. Astronauts train and prepare for flight and work on the International Space Station in the 6.2 million gallon pool that simulates the absence of gravity in outer space. That is honestly the top memory of my entire life because I knew, you know, my mom's boss, who'd been working there for 40 plus years, I think, had never had the opportunity to go on the floor of the NBL. And here I am, 12-year-old me, getting to go on the floor, and it was just absolutely amazing experience. One of Reisenhoover's most admired scientists is Krista McAuliffe, a teacher and astronaut killed during the Space Shuttle Challenger disaster in 1986. Just the passion that she had for her students. I want to, I want to be like that someday. I want to make a difference. Um, also, we've had 30 African-American uh, male and female astronauts. We have had 20 Hispanic Latino astronauts, both male and female. And we've only had one tribally registered male astronaut. So I would really like to be the first female Native American astronaut in space, let alone on Mars. To me, that's like my dream. Reisenhoover believes the future of humanity expands past Earth's atmosphere and onto other planets, which includes new branches of study in botany, physics, and energy. Another one of her idols, Gus Grissom, was the second American to fly in space and a member of the Apollo 1 team who died in a pre-launch test flight in 1967. He said, quote, If we die, we want people to accept it. We're in a risky business and we hope that if anything happens to us, it will not delay the program. The conquest of space is worth the risk of life. And Reisenhoover agrees. She hopes her time at OSSM leads her on a path to live up to Grissom's words. They understand the magnitude of what they're doing, going to space. That's what they want to do with their life. And so they want us to keep persevering and going through with the experiments and everything that we need to keep doing. For more about OSSM, visit ossm.edu. Find opportunities with the CPN Department of Education, including scholarships, leadership programs, and advising at cpn.news backslash education. As director of the Citizen Potawatomi Nation Real Estate Services Department, Charles Malloy oversees the day-to-day -day management of tribal land. He sat down with Hanukkah Podcast to discuss how CPN uses its land and the department's function. When the land was owned in common, we had approximately 500,000 acres. After allotment, the tribe wound up through individual ownerships about 250,000 acres. Over the 120-year period, through six generations, the ownership of those allotments have been divided down to where currently there are only about 77 allotments left, and some of those allotments may have as many as 100 or 150 undivided owners in the allotment. How does CPN manage its land today? The land today is managed depending on 
uh, the uh, ownership of the land. And when I say ownership, it's the way the land is deeded. The uh, original allotments are, were held in trust, and the tribe compacted the management of those allotments. Now, the BIA has trust responsibility toward those allotments. When the ownership got down to where uh, it was unmanageable in the ownership, then the Bureau took over the responsibility for the management of the land, and then CPN subsequently compacted that management responsibility from the Bureau. So we have this management responsibility of the trust allotments. Then we also have the management responsibility of the land that we currently have purchased in fee or received in, in other ways. So the definition then of our jurisdictional area where we have total sovereignty, total authority is on those parcels of land that are in trust for the citizen Potawatomi Nation. And today that totals about 14,000 acres. You said um, when land became unmanageable, what do you mean by unmanageable? Two people can hardly decide whether it's daylight or dark. If you can imagine a hundred people trying to decide whether to plant corn or beans, it just isn't going to work. So if someone has to be in charge and make the decisions, and that's part of what this department does. We manage that land to the benefit of the owner. What does putting land into trust mean, and why would the nation want to do that? Putting land into trust changes the ownership status from owned by the citizen Potawatomi Nation to owned by the United States of America in trust for the citizen Potawatomi Nation. The first and most immediate thing that happens is that that strips away all uh, local and state control. And this is why we're able to game and do a variety of things on that land. Secondly, once it goes into trust, it becomes part of the land that we have total jurisdiction and total sovereignty over. Now, the important reasons for doing this is, number one, it's an expression of our sovereignty. It's an expression of our self-governance. It becomes part of the land base, which is the basis of all economic development in this country. And this country was developed over off of its natural resources. We're still working that way off of our natural resources, and we will continue to do that. So we expand that land base, which becomes the kind of the, the starting point for all economic development. And this is very important. It puts the land in an ownership status that it would be very difficult for a future short-sighted administration to try to dispose of it. It's very difficult to sell once it's put into trust. What are some main ways that CPN uses its land today? Uh, the total land base that we're responsible for, part of that land is given over to governmental uses, administration, uh, the uh, reunion grounds, and those kinds of things. Part of the land is given over to our enterprises, the grocery store, the golf course, uh, 
the casinos. Uh, part of the land which hasn't been developed as such with a building and roads, etc., uh, still is in uh, agricultural use. We grow crop. A lot of it uh, is in hay production. Uh, when we buy a new parcel of land, uh, the first thing we do is solve any problems that may be on that land. There are environmental issues. We take care of those. Uh, fences are in the wrong place. We have dilapidated buildings and so forth. We take care of those. And then we try to get the land into some type of economic production, generally hay or cropping. Being the director of the real estate services department, how do you all divide up that work? The uh, uh, department is basically divided into two gross categories. Um, one part of the uh, departments, all of their activities relate to that trust responsibility that we have compacted from the, uh, from the Bureau. And we oversee and manage all of those trust lands that would fall under that trust responsibility of the Bureau. And this relates not only to the uh, uh, individual allotments that are left from original allot, uh, uh, the 1887 allotments, but it relates to the land that we put into trust now. Then the other half of the department relates to the non-trust lands, which as we purchase new properties, they are they're purchased in fee. And I had talked, I think I talked previously about how we, we go through the process of cleaning those up and getting those ready to use. And we start that process of putting them into trust. Um, and when we decide what it's going to be used for, typically the management of that piece of land is turned over to whatever department's going to occupy it. And they kind of take over and are responsible from that point. I had mentioned previously about the fact that uh, we're in the process of expanding our land base. We're also expanding our ownership into those original trust allotments. And any individual tribal member who owns in an allotment and who is interested in selling their undivided ownership, the tribe will buy it. We always pay more than appraised value. And... Um, uh, that way it's added to the tribal land base and uh, it's more easily managed to the benefit and ultimately back to the ownership through the services that we provide. How does the Realty Department um, play a role in expansion for the future? The administration being forward-sighted as it is recognized a long time ago that the expansion of the land, land base was very important. Uh, every year in the budgeting process, they set aside a significant amount of monies to be utilized to purchase additional land. Our land purchases, of course, have to make sense to us uh, so that it fits our uh, either within our existing areas where we have land or uh, it's uniquely located such that we can make some economic advantage in purchasing the land. For more information about the Real Estate Services Department, visit cpn.news backslash real estate. Learn more about history and culture by visiting the CPN Cultural Heritage Center online at potawatomiheritage.com. 
It's time for learning language when CPN Language Department Director Justin Neely teaches songs, phrases, stories, and more. This episode focuses on something unique to Potawatomi, the differences in animate and inanimate words, and what it means culturally. Hey, Bojo. Uh, We're going to talk a little bit more about the language uh, today. We're going to talk a little bit about kind of the building blocks of language, what kind of fundamentally is kind of underneath a lot of our words and concepts. And today what we're going to talk about is animacy and inanimacy. On surface value, that concept is pretty easy to understand. You know, you look at it and you say something is living, it's obviously animate, it's alive, it's non-living, it's inanimate. But then it gets a little more complicated because certain things in nature that maybe we don't consider as animate uh, in English are actually considered animate in Potawatomi, like the sun, Gizus, the moon, Debuk Gizus, um, certain uh, formations and, and trees and things like that that are considered animate. Also, things that are spiritual in nature are considered animate. So things like a pawagan, a pipe, or sema, tobacco, which we used to pray with, are considered animate. And then there's items that can be animate for a moment in time, but maybe later they're no longer animate. Um, maybe you're using a particular area of ground for some ceremony or something like that, and then later you're not using it any longer. Well, now it's no longer necessarily seen in the same light. Um, the way within the language itself, the verbs that you choose depend if something is animate or inanimate. So in English, we would just say like, I see the door, I see that man. It's both just see, but in Potawatomi, if you said, I see the door, it'd be squadam nawabdan. I see it, the door. So squadam nawabdan. If you said, I, saw, I see the man, you would say, nene nawabma. I see literally him or her, that man, that living creature. So nene nawabma. So the verb changes a little bit depending on if something's animate or inanimate. Also, the way that we pluralize things in Potawatomi changes if it's something animate. For example, um, for example, using table, which is dopwin, you'd say dopwinen for tables. So you add that in or e into it to say more than one table, something inanimate. Nektosha is a horse. You say nektoshak with a k or nektoshayak for horses. You add that k or that yek to indicate something animate. That's plural. There's more than one of. So that changes. Also, when you're talking about the location of something, you're saying uh, in Potawatomi, we, we differentiate between something that's close to you, something that's a little further away, something that's way far away, and we kind of change how we talk about it. But we also change based on animacy and inanimacy. For example, if I said this desk, I would say Oda Deschigen. If I said that woman or this woman, I'd say Oda Kwe. That one's the same, but then after that, Okwe would be that woman a little further away. E deschigen, that desk a little further away. E deschigen, that desk way far away, versus agokwe, that woman way far away. So it changes based on animacy and inanimacy. And what's really fascinating about it is a lot of times within languages, we talk about some things not being translatable. You know, um, oftentimes when people ask me to translate something, I have to ask them, what exactly do you mean? Because in English, a lot of times we talk in sayings, we talk in um, 
expressions that don't exactly mean what we what we're actually trying to say. I think that's really challenging for students that try to learn English. We'll talk about, you know, raining cats and dogs or something like that. And they're like, so there's dogs and cats flying out of the sky? Or you want to say there's a downfall, you know, a downpour of water. Um, so you have to kind of get to the nit- nitty gritty of what somebody really wants to say. Some things, like I said, are not translatable. They don't go across. And what's really not translatable, it's not that we can't say anything that you want to say in English that we can't say in Potawatomi. A lot of times it's more the concepts and the understandings that maybe are not as translatable. I mean, so like that word when it means good life or good health on face value, but it means so much more. It encompasses you know, our physical, our mental, our spiritual well-being. It's talking about so much more being connected to your culture, having that good life, that good existence, if you will. And that's something that's hard to translate across. It's hard to enter that in a dictionary and make somebody really understand what you're talking about. The same way when we talk about things in nature, you know, when I say, when I see a, an ant, I say, I see an ant, is what you would say in English, but in Panami, what you're literally saying is, I see him or her, this living creature, this living being, this ant. And when you talk about it like that, it's a little different than just looking at an inconvenience or just this pest that you see. You're talking about it like it's a part of the family, like you're connected to it. I think in English, sometimes we have that kind of sense of connection with our own pets and things like that, because we talk about them like this is you know him or her, my dog, and because they're almost part of your family. They're, they have this connection to you. In the same way within Potawatomi, I mean, we have stories that talk about like when the men visited the sun and when they came back, one, one of the men wanted to be able to, to help the people out, and he was changed into a, a cedar tree so that he could always be there so that people could... Um, use him for ceremonies and use him to be help for the people. So he became a tree. Another one of them wanted to be used in a way that he could help the people as well. He was turned into a rock so that one day when we wanted to do a sweat lodge that you know you could take from him and, and, he, and you could put your tobacco down and thank him for, in a way, giving his existence so that we can um, use him in that ceremony in that way. And that's something we do too is we always put down tobacco when we're talking about different plants and things in nature, and we, we offer that, and we thank that plant for giving its life. And then before we even pick that plant, we do it also when we take like a, a stone for a sweat lodge. We thank that, that, that rock for giving its essence, if you will, so that we can have this ceremony, that we can live this good life in that way. And, and that also talks about that connection between us and that, and that plant and the earth. You know, we respect it. We didn't never, we never took more than we needed. We took what was needed at the time. And that relationship with the earth. And that's inadvertently, it's within the language, that understanding and that worldview. And that's, again, one of those things that's the hardest part to kind of explain to folks if they don't have a deep connection maybe with the culture or they don't have a deep connection with their language, that it really does change the way that you see the world around you. For more information and opportunities with language, including self-paced classes, visit cpn.news backslash language. You can find an online dictionary at potawatomidictionary.com, as well as videos on YouTube. There are also classes on the language learning app, Memrise. Hanukkah Podcast is produced and brought to you by Citizen Potawatomi Nation's Public Information Department. Our director is Jennifer Bell. Don't forget to subscribe to us on SoundCloud, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you find what you listen to. 
We're also on Facebook at Citizen Potawatomi Nation and on Twitter at C underscore P underscore N. Visit us on the web and find digital editions of the tribal newspaper at Potawatomi.org. That's P-O-T-A-W-A-T-O-M-I dot org. Until next time, I'm Paige Willett. Miigwech Nikanek, Bawamina. Thank you, friends. See you later. Thank you.